As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, helping you to understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook or two. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. I am joined by Bruce Miller, author of numerous books, including The Seven Big Questions, Searching for God, Truth and Purpose, which is the focus of our show today. Bruce is the founding pastor of Christ Fellowship in McKinney, Texas. He is also a consultant for Christian leaders and has recently directed his wisdom towards LGBTQ plus consulting, having written various books on this topic. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us again today. We're going to tackle another two of those big questions. The first of which I'll just dive straight in is, is Christianity too narrow? Now that strikes me as being a big objection, particularly for non-Christians. What, why do you think it is such a big objection? Why is Christianity too narrow? Yeah, it is a huge objection all over the world today, probably especially in the Western world, because we have valued tolerance so highly. And we have then, we've actually kind of redefined tolerance. Uh, originally what tolerance meant is, I disagree with you, but I will accept you and welcome you, although we disagree. So if you didn't have disagreement, you couldn't have tolerance. Mm-hmm. Ironically, today, we've redefined it as that your view is correct and my view is correct. And so we want to uh, agree with everybody and accept everybody's view as valid, even though the views differ from each other. And so that's sort of challenging. Like uh, with, with, Christ- with God, people like to use the image of a mountain and say that, that all the different religions and worldviews are different paths up the mountain. And they all go to essentially the same place, which is that there is some sort of a God and you should live a moral life and then you'll have a great afterlife. And isn't that the same top of the mountain? And whether you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or anything else, it's all basically the same. And let's just agree to disagree. Why would you say that your view is the only view and the only right view? And that, that sounds, I think, to modern ears, that sounds arrogant. It sounds presumptuous. And even it can sound a bit aggressive, like, so you're saying everybody else is wrong and you're right. We have to see it your way and it's offensive. 
There are obviously some similarities between Christianity and some of the other major world religions, some of which you touch on in your book. What would you say are some of the big similarities? And and can that be a kind of helpful point of contact when we're talking to people of different religions? Sure. I mean, at a a high level, um, lots of religions believe in some sort of a divine, some sort of a God figure of some sort. Most religions have some sort of morality, and some of it is the same, like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's a form of that in most every major religion. And most religions have some form of an afterlife. And something we do in this life impacts what our afterlife looks like. Those would be common traits. And I guess on the flip side, what would be some of the big differences and and why do they matter? What uh, you find is at a little closer look, the religions are actually not the same. So Judaism has one God. Hinduism has many gods. Islam has one God, Allah. Christianity is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are forms of Buddhism where there is no God. So how can you have many gods, no God, one God, and a trinity? Those are not the same. And in fact, to say they're the same is insulting to every religion. Because what you're then doing is saying, oh, your point of view about Allah doesn't really matter that much. It's pretty much the same as Hinduism with many gods. Well, no, it's not. And the same with with morality. There aren't the same rules in all the different religions or the afterlife. It's very different. The views are not the same at all. And so, and how you get there and what difference it makes are not the same at all. So it ironically, in the attempt to be tolerant and loving and kind, you're actually offensive mm. to everyone. <laughs> but, and, and you act as if you're, you, you have some view above every other view. And so it, it, in an attempt to be humble, you actually end up being the most arrogant of all, as if you know better than every religion. And you say something brilliant again in your book. I'm just going to quote you here. You say, believing something is true doesn't make it so because truth is independent of our beliefs about it. Would you just expand um, what you mean by that? Yes. And I think here it's important to distinguish between truth and preference. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you said that you like vanilla ice cream, I, I prefer mint chocolate chip would be my favorite ice cream. Well, Neither of us is right or wrong. You like vanilla. I like mint chocolate chip. But if we both went to get ice cream and you said, I'm eating broccoli, I would say, no, you're not. You're eating ice cream. Mm. That it's, it, that's just not true. Or sometimes we might have a belief, but just because we believe it doesn't make it true. You can want it to be true. Like, for instance, you might say, well, the price of gasoline or petrol is so high that I don't want to run my car on gasoline. I want to run it on water. Water is so much cheaper. I'll get my hose and I will fill up my gas tank in my car with water because it's much cheaper than gasoline. Well, you could try, you could believe that and you could do that and your car will not run. Reality is is quite stubborn that way. So then I guess that leads to the question of how do we know which religion, which worldview, which approach is true? That's exactly right. That's the million dollar question. That's that's where this chapter ends is that you can't you can't have it that all the religions are equally true. It's just well, let me say it this way. 
you can say that it's not rational. It, it doesn't really make good sense and it's offensive. So yes, you can say that, you can make that point of view, but really if you're being intellectually honest, it's that one of them is true or none of them are true. Mm. It's not that all of them are true. And with Christianity, what actually I find to be remarkable is that it's not exclusive. And so when you when you look at what Christianity says, it says that God loved the whole world, so he sent his son, that God wants everyone to come to repentance. And it is actually inclusive of every race, every ethnicity, every kind of person, no matter what you believe, where you've been born, who you are in the world. And then when you look at objective reality, Christianity is the most ethnically, culturally diverse religion in the world, by far. Christianity is in every country, every major religion, nearly every minor, uh, not just religion, I mean uh, language, every major language, every minor language in the world. It is, it is incredibly diverse. Some people think that in their own country that Christianity is like a Western religion or a, an English religion, but it was uh, started in the Mediterranean world and now is spread all over the world and is actually the most inclusive, diverse religion in the world. Bruce, you've touched on tolerance already and the fact that it kind of has changed meaning. Um, so would you say then that tolerance isn't the solution to living at peace with those of differing religions? I really think that tolerance is not sufficient. So Christianity calls us to go beyond tolerance. Yes, we should tolerate each other, but Christianity calls us to love. Jesus made such strong statements when he said, love your enemies, be kind to those who disagree with you. And by enemies, he, in sort of in that time frame, met people who are different from you. So actually what I think we need to do is not just tolerate each other, but certainly as Christians, if you're a Christian listening, we need to go beyond tolerance to actually love those around us, particularly those who disagree with us or who we might in some form or fashion consider to be, quote unquote, an enemy or certainly opposed to us in some way. Before we dive into the next question, I guess as we sort of round off this topic, how do we know then that Christianity is true? I mean, does that come back to the kind of question that we've already talked about is how, how do we know God exists? Are they tied in together? Um, well, I really think knowing that God exists doesn't prove a Christian God. It's really just showing the reasonableness or, and the rationality that a God exists, that you haven't now proven or shown that it's rational that the Christian God exists. And I think looking at, with, at Christianity's inclusivity and breadth doesn't again prove that it's true. It really rises to this to the next question. It's really the next chapter which addresses is Jesus God that drives straight at the heart of whether Christianity is true or not, which really is the question that we're left with. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. So the next question then, is Jesus really God? I mean, presumably the people Googling this question are at least, you know, is somewhat interested in exploring Christianity because I guess you wouldn't be thinking about whether Jesus was really God if you're completely apathetic and That's not right. interested in this. And Jesus is such an amazing figure. Uh, almost everyone respects Jesus on one level or another as a great moral example, a great wise teacher, a, a religious founder. And so then once you, once you have some respect for Jesus, however you've encountered him, 
and he's respected in other world religions too, uh, many of them. You then ask, but but is he God? Because that, that's a much different question than is he simply a good moral teacher or a good moral example, you know, someone to be admired and listened to and studied. But to say he's God is is a whole nother question beyond, far beyond that. And why is there such a high respect for Jesus, do you think, among, you know, peoples of all religions and none? Because even lots of atheists would say that, you know, some of the morals that he espoused are, are helpful and good. I think that's a great question. You know, I don't, I don't ultimately know the answer from people's points of view. I, I, you know, I would, my guesses would be that when you read the New Testament, you realize what he had to say really is wise. It really is good. It resonates uh, deeply in our souls and our hearts. No matter what we believe, we realize, well, what he had to say was his parables really wise and his life as it's described in the four gospels is a, a great life of caring for people, doing miracles, reaching out to the least and the lonely, the marginalized of his day, and ultimately sacrificing his life. So, but I guess for Christians, it's not just that. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just a good guy. He's not just someone who kind of sacrificed himself like like a human would sacrifice himself. Um, Christians believe that Jesus was God. So why does his divinity matter, that question of whether he was or wasn't God? Why is it an important question? It's really the heart of Christianity is whether he's God or not, because if he's not God, he's not our savior. And that's really the heart of Christianity. And so first you have to ask, does he even, why would, why would anybody say he's God? And so to go back to ask that, that question, did Jesus claim to be God? What did he claim about himself? And as you go back and look at the, at the gospels, you realize he actually did. He said, he claimed that he was the quote unquote, I am, which is the name for God, Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible. And the Jewish people wanted to stone him because they said he's committing blasphemy, he's claiming to be God. So now you're stuck in a hard position. What do you do with someone who claims to be God? Because frankly, Ruth, if one of my friends claimed to be God, I'd be quite concerned about that. (laughs) I would think they probably lost their mind or they were just teasing me, kidding, or maybe there's a much bigger concern. And so that's a problem that that Jesus claimed to be God. He's not then a great moral teacher. He's a, he's a, C.S. Lewis famously said it's a trilemma. Either he is lost his mind, he's, an, he's a crazy person, he's insane, or he is an evil person. He's claiming to be God and, and he, knows he's God, he knows he's not God and he's claiming to be God. That's, that's manipulative, that's, that's not good. That's being, he's a liar. So either he's a lunatic or he's a liar or he claimed to be God and he actually is. So he called it the lunatic liar lord trilemma that those are really your options. And C.S. Lewis pointed out he did, Jesus didn't really leave us the option that he's simply a good moral teacher. That, that's not really a, a live option since he claimed to be God. And then you think, okay, then what did his followers believe? Because here's guys, people who Peter, James, and John, his 12, his 12 apostles, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they're all kind of regular people. And they followed him around for three years listening to him. They were his friends. They ate together. They hung out together. And now their friend is claiming to be God. Well, back to me with my friend, what would my friend have to do for me to believe, you know, they really are God. Mm. And so it's amazing that these Jewish people who believe there is only one God, because they were all Jewish, his original followers, all claim when you read the New Testament letters, when you read what Paul said and Peter, they claim Jesus is God. And so we're left with Jesus claimed he's God and the people who were his friends, his closest followers who knew him best claim he's God. 
That's remarkable. And obviously a big part of that is the resurrection. You discussed that in great detail in the seven big questions. How did you personally become convinced of this core belief of Christianity that the resurrection did actually happen? Yeah, as I as I studied uh, in the Bible, the, bur- the chapter you want to go to is 1 Corinthians 15, is the chapter on resurrection in the Bible. And I began to, to study the resurrection in the Bible and then in history and look at the evidence for it and realized that this really is the, the most important question. It's the turning point question for Christianity. And in fact, the Bible recognizes that. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is in vain. And so if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he's not God. And if he's not God, then Christianity is not true. And the Bible is not reliable. If he did rise from the dead, then he is God. And then everything follows from there. Christianity actually is true. So if you're wrestling, if that's your question, is Christianity true or not? I would encourage you to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of extraneous questions. What about the dinosaurs and on and on and on, all sorts of interesting questions that are worth asking and talking about. But the central question, the most important question is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is that one of the core reasons why you believe that Jesus is God? Or is there other evidence that points you in that direction? Or I suppose, is there like a personal element as well? Oh yeah, there's definitely a personal element. So intellectually, it's the resurrection that is most compelling to me for why Jesus is God. Personally and and more subjectively, it's my own experience with Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he has literally changed my life and is present with me on a daily basis making a, a real difference in my life and the, the the miracles that I've seen and experienced in my life. But on an intellectual level, it's the resurrection that's utterly compelling. And they're just, they're, in addition to my chapter, there's all sorts of books at different levels, depending on whether you'd like to read a lighter read or you want to read the most academic treatment that there is. I'd encourage you to search those books out and Google, Google the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you'll find incredible evidence that supports the truth of the resurrection historically. So I guess as we come to the end of this episode, because sadly we've got to end it at some point, but I would, as always, um, recommend that you read Bruce's book for, for more detail. But as we come to the end of this episode, how would you convince a skeptic who's wrestling with this question of, is Jesus God? Yeah, I would really encourage a skeptic to study the resurrection yourself, but look at a couple of realities around it I'll tell you one that just is astounding to me is that the these early followers were all Jewish and they had confidence in Jesus, but when he was crucified, they all ran away and they all went into hiding and none of them thought there would be a resurrection. In fact, they went to the tomb to anoint his body and they were shocked that the tomb was empty and wondered where in the world he was. And then they they see him they report seeing him as eyewitnesses, and all of uh, they all change, all these early followers, to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. What in the world could have convinced them? Then, most of them were killed for their faith. They literally died martyrs' deaths. If they knew it was a lie, who would die for a lie? That just doesn't make sense. They must have really believed it. And then you, you, you find this amazing transformation that, that all these Jewish people who, for whom Saturday was the Sabbath now move their day of worship to Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead. Major changes in religions like that don't happen overnight. 
It just, it just doesn't happen that way. There has to be an explanation. And what other explanation is there than the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Bruce, thank you so much. That's all we've got time for today, but I would very much encourage people to get hold of the seven big questions. Um, but we're not we're not done yet. We've got one more episode to discuss the last two questions, but that is all, the, all that we've got time for today. Thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. Please do let us know what you think of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or you can get in touch on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.